Welcome into Tailgate. Asa Gill here with Mike Renner ahead of our trip to Knoxville for Georgia, Tennessee. Got OBJ's best landing spots. Also going to preview all the games in Week 10 in the NFL. Listener mailbag, the trivia, and an interview with Maryland safety Nick Cross. Let's get it. Where the hell should OBJ go? You know where I think. The Packers? Is the Packers? My take is Packers or Chiefs, and why the hell are you considering any other team? Seattle, I get. Russell Wilson, also very talented. But he's coming off an injury. You could argue in the best – You know, Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes are two of the top three, top four quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Yeah. Um, From a sort of life perspective – Going back to New Orleans, where obviously he's from, you know, played at LSU. I can see that. Like that's that's the only reason I can see New Orleans. And obviously they don't know Michael Thomas the rest of the year. They need that like he would get the touches there at least, or at least they would try to get him the touches. Maybe Trevor Trevor Simeon wouldn't be able to get it to him effectively, but they would at least try to scheme around him as a weapon there. Whereas he goes to the Chiefs, goes to the Packers. He's number two. He is. Well, Chiefs probably number three, but with the Packers, he probably he's wants number two. to be number two. <laughs> that might be his dream, but that's what he is. He's not. Necess- I think that's a big factor in the decision: is how many, how, what's my showcase going to be like? Because obviously, as he said before, he's not happy if he's not contributing to wins. The interesting team to me is the Pats because Pats obviously are bereft of talent at the wide receiver position. There's a report that Bill Belichick's pushing for this himself. Wants Odell Beckham on the roster. Jacoby Myers whatever the number one right now ain't stopping me from trying to get Odell but Odell's skill set has always kind of been that outside wide receiver skill set and that's not the one that's like it feels very much like when Chad Johnson went to the Patriots like from a skill set perspective and then it just didn't mesh with that offense so that would be I mean would he be the guy in the slot getting the majority of the targets and obviously with Mac Jones and the routes he's targeted this year another guy that may not fit what Odell does so I obviously think the Packers for, you know, Homerish reasons, but I could see going elsewhere. Did we ever bring up I think the bigger thing though, I think the bigger thing here is though, he should go to the spot that's going to get him the best numbers. Like money right now for this rest of this season, whether it's if he's haggling between apparently the Packers made him the minimum offer. Saying between that and a number, say three or four million dollars for the rest of the year. That will be that difference, whatever it is, is going to be made up on whatever on your next contract if you look good the rest of the year mm-hmm. and play nice with wherever you go and do well in the playoffs, whatever, make big plays. That is going to be made up by the next contract you sign. So any haggling over money right now, to me, it should literally just if I was Odell Beckham, it would literally just be which situation is going to showcase my skill sets the best. Yeah. Obviously playing with quarterback Zach or Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Holmes would be where I would go. You can't be short-sighted in that. I know that Green Bay Packers offers the veteran minimum. There are other teams, likely the Saints, willing to offer more or whatever it is. But the Packers and the Chiefs, in my opinion, are the two teams that would showcase his talents the best, that are among the final teams listed and who he's mulling over. I still feel like Baltimore is the best landing spot for OBJ, but still, Packers, Chiefs, love it. Did we ever talk about, you brought up Chad Johnson, the Chad Johnson tweet exchange that I oh, had? Oh, yes. No, we didn't talk about that. That so was Chad Johnson, <laughs> I said, Odell Beckham Jr.'s best landing spot's Baltimore. I tweeted it out shortly after you know, all those news was coming down on Friday that he was going to get released. Chad Johnson, unprompted, 
I've never met him. We've never met, ran into him in Cincy or at the Combine or he anything. Doesn't even follow you. Doesn't even follow me, and I don't follow him. Yeah. Sorry, Chad. But he quote tweets me. He says, no, Austin. The name call is the funniest part. <laughs> no, Austin. His best landing spot is Green Bay or Kansas City or wherever the hell he said. I, you don't jo- remember what he said? Come on. <laughs> and then I'm joking with you in the office. like, Mike, Chad Johnson just quote to me. And I was like, I'll, I'm going to say, like, I'm sorry, Chad. And I respond. I was like, I'm sorry, Chad. And then Chad Johnson quote tweets me again. And he says, I'm sorry for interfering with, the period, uh, interfering with your opinion. I fucking love you, Austin. So then I replied, I fucking love you too, Chad. So we're best friends. And that's He's coming pretty, on the pod is basically the yeah. moral of that story. Yeah, too bad he just wasn't in town or anything. That would have been a golden opportunity. He was in town. So the next day, our PR manager, shout out David Sofaro, saw him at Starbucks and mentioned that, hey, that exchange you had with Austin was funny. I'm Dave from PFF. He's like, yeah, I love you guys. We've got to get together sometime and do something. I was like, so Chad's a pro. Chad's Chad. Chad Ochocinco's a pro, friend of the show. Mm. The next thing on Catching Early Buzz, Sam Darnold, hurt. you made the joke that blew up on Twitter that he has an incomplete fracture and you're like, can't even complete a fracture. I thought it was good. That's better than the Josh Allen stuff, but a lot of people made that joke. I was going to say, I, as soon as I made it, I was like, oh shit, that's the very obvious. Like it was a little too obvious. I couldn't believe it actually got, it's up to like 54,000 likes. Couldn't believe that. 54,000 um, likes? Yeah. It wasn't like hot. I mean, it, it's, it is funny. I mean, it's like, no, it is funny. I thought it was funny. Like, I thought it was funny. Kick a man wise down, unfortunately, but it's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, never wish injury on a guy, but this to me, and I was texting my dad this, and, and he said, I texted my dad about the injury. It's on his throwing shoulder, cracking the scapula. He said, it, you could play through it. It would be very painful. It, to me, felt like a, hey, we might have benched you anyways. This yeah, kind of is like fair. a nice convenient excuse to give you a little break. I love when we get your dad's medical analysis on the pod. Yeah. And he said, it, it would be painful, but if it was like, you're playing the Super Bowl next week, he's playing. You know, It was that kind of injury, he said. Uh, so that is unfortunate but also yeah the dude needed a fucking break he looked like shit for four straight weeks here i think pj walker's gonna come in and play better yeah i hard to play worse hard to play worse right (laughs) they scored six points last week they gave up more points on offense than they scored so they are four and five they are still feasibly in the hunt because the falcons at four and four right now would be your seventh seed in the nfc so they need or they have the possibility to turn things around but shit, man, it better happen soon. And I think P.J. Walker could actually win them some games. But that is uh, – Darnold needs to reassess. If I had to predict what happens way. with the Panthers quarterback situation just for this season, I think Walker comes in and plays at least at the level of, if not you know, a few standard deviations better than what Darnold was putting out. And regardless of how bad this injury is or when Sam Darnold can come back, they let Walker close out this season. I think that would be my prediction right now. I think P.J. Walker will play better, and they will give it to him. Interesting. But can I add this? They have too much invested in Darnold to let that. No, here's the thing, though. I saw Charles McDonald tweet this out, who is announced, I believe, for USA Today, for the win USA Today. He said, wouldn't be surprised or something along these lines that if the Panthers went full Brock Osweiler with Sam Darnold's contract in the offseason. Remember when Osweiler was traded for like a second round pick to get rid of the contract? So they gave Osweiler and a second round pick to Mm -hmm. whoever for an exchange for like a late third round pick to get rid of the contract. I would not be surprised if Carolina does that. That might be their best option because this this is going to plague them if they start him for 17 games next year. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't have to get rid of him necessarily to start someone else. Is yeah. the other thing. Like but if you want to free up space. But yeah, um, they are, they're just down bad. They're in that kind <laughs> of, almost almost in like a, 
weird way like Washington was a couple of years ago when they had Alex Smith's contract on the books, but he had that devastated, devastating injury where it's just like, you are fucked as a franchise <laughs> until that contract comes off the books. And they just are right now. Comparing Sam and Arnold's play to someone who physically can't play is kind of rough, but I love it. I think you're but right. But it's like, that's the situation. I get you. I get you. Got a couple more things here before we get to the NFL week. 10 preview. Daniel Jeremiah, a.k.a. Move the Six, also a friend of the show, tweeted out on November 9th, and this tweet did relatively well. Not as well as the incomplete fracture joke, but still, interesting opinion from scouting. All DJ's tweets do well. He's been, he's been a king in the game for a decade plus. It's true. It's true. King in the game for a decade plus. Interesting opinion from a scouting buddy. Ten players from the 2021 NFL draft would be first overall in the 2022 draft. That's what Daniel Jeremiah got from a scouting buddy. Hmm. What's your reaction to that? I disagree, obviously. We're going to talk about Mm -hmm. uh, the combined 2021-2022 draft board that I'm putting out on PFF.com later this week. But I I just... uh, one, it, it, it makes the argument that you would take five quarterbacks from last year's class first overall, mm-hmm. which that one's a tough sell to me, considering that Fields goes at 11 and Mac Jones goes at 15. If, if there's that many people, and now it's just one guy's opinion, but if you think a guy is worth number one overall, and I don't care you know, who you are, and they're sitting on the board and you're Broncos, Panthers, I, I don't know who, obviously who the scout works for. But if it was that good, they was number one overall pick. Other team, you would think that guys like that would not fall uh, that far back in the draft. Going behind, um, shit, I'm trying to think who went 13th overall. Falling behind like Micah Parsons, yeah, and the like, like they, they would, you would not say that. So, one, I, I call BS on that a little bit, and then two, it's also then saying so five is the maximum quarterbacks you would say go ahead of everyone in this class Mm -hmm. that means five position players that means you're either saying i think kyle pitts jamar chase are like the obvious ones in terms of evaluations last year probably jalen waddle because we know people were super duper high on him even the dolphins obviously were super duper high on him jaguars were as well um sewell sewell and then then you're like having a tough sell for me to say someone ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau in this yeah. upcoming draft class, or even Kyle Hamilton, or even Derek Stingley. If you're telling me that you want to go Michael Parsons ahead of those guys, you're telling me you'd go Rashawn Slater ahead of those guys, I just – hindsight, yeah, maybe Rashawn Slater, yeah, he's very good this year. You would draft him more. That's what I think a lot but, of this is, though. But it does seem a little bit hindsighty to say – 10 guys from last year. And we'll get to the board here in a sec. That's, that's what I think a lot of this is. A lot of this, in my opinion, is hindsight analysis. I think that person is putting Micah Parsons ahead of everyone. Micah Parsons, would be, you'd be fucking insane, though. Like, I know. I know but I'm saying that's what I think this, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's what I think is happening, though. They, I put Micah Parsons ahead. I put Pitts ahead. I put Slater ahead, seeing how well he's performed. Like, you, everyone's doing that yeah. instead of actually like, evaluating independently of each board. So we're going to But it's over. also, and then to also just kind of typo on that tweet, it was one dude's opinion yeah yeah so disagree with that one scouting buddy's opinion most people disagree scouting buddy a new enemy of tailgate (laughs) no but but it it, i actually loved it because it it spurned a good idea in my head to tie to to really try to tier this upcoming draft class and how it compared to last year's and i did say last year had an incredible amount of blue chip talent there was a tier of i think i said 11 guys that i was like 11 guys in that class are i don't want to say can't miss but we're in like 
a very highly rated prospect to their respective positions that you will, will not get every single year. So I think uh, this year does not have that high-end blue-chip talent, but where it does is different than last year's, and that would be the defensive side of the ball. All right, let's get into this board that you crafted here that's going to be out in an article on PFF.com. You have six 2021 yes. NFL draft players going ahead of any 2022 player. They are Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Panay Sewell, Kyle Pitts, and Jamar Chase in that order, one through six. Mm-hmm. You are not putting, so the next 2021 member in that class is Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Micah Parsons. You're not putting those guys, Smith, Waddle, Parsons, over Kayvon Thibodeau, Kyle Hamilton, and Derek Stingley, the three top players on PFS Draft Board yes. this year and the three top defenders in this year's class. And truthfully, if Stingley was healthy... Like if if we had seen a healthy Stingley this year, and he you're probably played, putting him ahead of others, yeah. He's getting ahead of Jamar Chase more than likely. I'd probably put him ahead of Cal Pitts. He could even bump up over Penesol. Like he he could be the best position player outside of quarterback that we've seen in the past two years. I think he's that good. But again, 154 snaps this year. That's just a tough sell. Love him as a prospect. Think he's still a t- a clear tier above the cornerbacks from last year, as we'll get to later. But that injury is just a little worrisome. But Thibodeau, Hamilton, those are, you know, studs at their respective position. Even though actually Brady Quinn was texting me yesterday after I tweeted about Kayvon Thibodeau. He doesn't Brady Quinn's not on board. Really? KT train. No. Wow. Because he, he, he doesn't play for Notre Dame. Yeah, well, that's probably a big factor in it. But he said he doesn't use his hands. Well and I, and I don't disagree. He is not Chase Young coming out in terms of his polish. But the athlete, the kind of athlete that he is, is the athlete that, I mean, Miles Garrett didn't use his hands particularly well coming out either. And it's just, you can't teach 6'5", 260 with bend the way those dudes got it. So uh, yeah, I still feel good about Kayvon Thibodeau as a number one type of pick. I do think that looking at this, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, and then you have Kyle Helms and Derek Stingley. I think with Stingley, I thought it was an interesting conversation when we had Seth on this podcast saying, you know, who would be the best defensive you know, college football player this year? Like, who's the best defender? And if Stingley was healthy, I think we, he, it would be him. That is how good Derek Stingley was when he was healthy. Um, all right. Next, you have, like I said, 2021 comes back. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell to Micah Parsons. That gives you to 12 on this board. And then 2022, Aiden Hutchinson gets ahead of Trey Lance and Rayshon Slater, that yeah. puts his draft stock into a lot of into really good perspective. Yeah, and Rayshon Slater again, a touch of hindsight bias to really bump him up a lot. He missed, you know, he didn't play in twenty twenty. He missed a whole season before, and obviously he was great back in twenty nineteen. But I think those were concerns last year. Those were legitimate concerns from a lot of people, and he heard a lot of people being like, "Oh, we want to trade out for all these like." We want to trade out of this draft to go to next year's draft. Uh, obviously, Rich Hustler has been fantastic and well worth it. But I do think Aiden Hutchinson is going to be fantastic in his own right. Highest grade edge defender, college football, freak athlete, number two on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Like There is a lot to like about Aiden Hutchinson. He has played his way into that blue chip status as a prospect this season. That's phenomenal to see because I love Rashawn Slater coming out. To have Aiden Hutchinson that high I think is is awesome to see. Next, you have, like like I said, Trey Lance, Rashawn Slater. Then we get back to 2022 with Evan Neal and Nick Ikemekwanu. Do you think, I don't know if I'm there yet, that Neil and Aquanu are that close as prospects. Do you see them tight like that? Do you see them as close as one, you know, one and two like that? I do. And, and I love Aquanu. Aquanu's been on this top. We're just, huge fans of Aquanu. It's Aquanu's game is taken to another level this year. And Neil, 
Now, I, I still think Neil's a better prospect. I think some of it's because Neil has had to switch from right tackle to left tackle that maybe he's not dominating from a grading perspective the way Aquanu is. That's just going to be different. It takes time. Aquanu's been, uh, he played left tackle as a freshman, guard, sophomore, and some tackle as a sophomore, and now left tackle this year. Like He hasn't had to switch positions the way Neil has every single year. So that helps. But I do think Aquanu, the leap he's made is for real. And then the physical tools in terms of just like the bone crushing power in his upper body, lower body is right up there with Neil's, even if Neil might be the freakier testing athlete on the football field. I'm not sure it matters. I think there is going to be some separation when the combine hits. I'll say that. I mean, when Neil shows up, the yeah, combine, I mean, there's going to be some separation. People are going to be like, oh, my God, Evan Neal, is he better than Mekhi Becton? Is he better than uh, Panay Sewell? I think there, yeah. there, there will be some conversations around that. That's going to make, obviously, the draft content pretty phenomenal. After that, after Neil or after Aquano, you go back to 2021, and here comes Christian Barmore, Patrick Sertan, Mac Jones. That's that next three ahead of any 2022 mm-hmm. draft class member. And then to round out here, Charles Cross of Mississippi State at 21, Tyler Linderbaum at 22, then Darisaw at 23, Carl Loftus at 24, and Garrett Wilson at 25. What is keeping the 2022 draft class relevant compared to last year, again, is the trenches. Yeah, It is the trenches. And I looked at, and we're going to go over Mel Kuyper and Dane Brugler's draft boards that came out this week. Next week, I want to look at some of those some of those boards next week. I looked at Dane Brugler's board for The Athletic, who is friend of the show and also like one of our most respected guys who does a lot of really good work. 11 of his top 14 players are offensive linemen or defensive linemen. That's where this class wins. And I think you see yeah. them filling out that you know 15 to 25 range on this board. Yeah, you got five offensive linemen on this list from 2022. You have three edges on this list from 2022 when there were no edges on the, from 2021 on this list. Uh, conversely, you have three wide receivers in 2021 and a tight end in the top 11 compared to one that barely sneaks in in 2022 in Garrett Wilson. So that's kind of comparing those two classes. Those are the relative strengths and weaknesses. The, the other takeaway, obviously, zero quarterbacks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the other takeaway I had is one: yet the quarterbacks, and two, one one wide receiver from twenty twenty two. Garrett Wilson sneaks in at twenty five. That I think is where PFF is going to be ahead of what will be a market curve. I don't think when it's all said and done, where you look at some of these draft boards, where it's Drake London, Jahan Dotson, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks. These guys are in the top fifteen, top twenty of people's draft boards. I don't think there will be that many receivers that end up being in that range. I do think that that wide receiver class does move down as more offensive linemen, edge defenders move up. Some of these linebackers, too, yeah. Kobe D, Devin Lloyd. Those guys, I think, do take the space. Cornerbacks, too. There are a lot of cornerbacks in this class that I would take over this receiver group. Like, like legitimately, like Kyrie Elam, Ahmad Garner, Trent McDuffie, obviously Derek Stingley Jr. Like, a lot of these guys are in that conversation. I, I do also think that wide receiver whatever – the rankings are reflective of the fact that it is not as deep at the top as it was last year. Like people aren't having, people don't have quarterbacks at the tops of their draft boards uh, this year as compared to last year, where you'd have three or four of them. Um, and I just don't think that there's there's probably about five or six blue chip guys compared to eleven last year, where it's just there's a different level of talent towards the top in this year's class than there was in last year's class. And so then when you're kind of in that mix of guys who you like as maybe fringe first-rounders, they can get bumped up to your 12 to 15 in your draft board just because there's not that many guys who are surefire studs in this class. Let's get into this NFL Week 10 preview. Before we do, new sponsor of Tailgate, the X-Chair. The X-Chair, baby. The X-Chair. Introducing new Tailgate sponsor, X-Chair. Working from home is more important now than ever. 
Optimize your home office with an X-Chair and our many accessories, accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, or DVL, there's no going back. We got our chairs last week. I mean, I sleep in it. I, I have parties in it. It's an absolute dream. I got a heater on the back, a massager on the back. It rolls. Rolls matter. Rolling your chair matters. If I want to slide over to Mike's desk and then slide back to mine, I want free-flowing. I want to be freaking soaring. This X chair is next up. Don't, where's your head on the X chair? Uh, the vibrating massage back is a hot. godsend when you're sitting in a chair for eight hours a day. It is hot. I, I, I don't ever turn it off. I'm just in a constant vibration. It's all in the LMX, LMX massage and temperature regulation. This is what I'm talking about. Exclusively designed and made for the X chair with versatile comfort and extraordinary designs. X chair fits any space. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort, extreme. Those are all the reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. And sometimes, even when I'm not working, I sit in my X chair just to get that feeling. In quotes, get that feeling. Take my advice. Try the X chair yourself. Risk free for 30 days. You got a 30 day experience. Go grab it. Go to xchairtailgate.com now. That's xchairtailgate.com right now. Or call 1-844-XCHAIR for $100 off your order. XChair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairtailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Man, the XChair. It's back. Game preview season. Ravens, Dolphins this Thursday. Dolphins, seven and a half point dogs at home. Yikes. Seven and a half point dogs at home. Tua Tungabailoa questionable with an injury, but he is expected to play. That's what we what I'm hearing. We don't know. Obviously, we don't know. The Dolphins have been a doormat all season long. You got the hook over the seven. This is a tough spot for me to bet Baltimore. I I struggle betting Baltimore as a seven and a half point favorite over Miami with Tua Tungabailoa back healthy. Now, 96% of the cash bet on this game is on the Baltimore Ravens. Do I fade the public? Yes, I do. I'm betting to a tongue of Iloa to cover the number if he plays. I reserve the right if he does not play and that questionable does keep him out. I'm not fucking betting on Jacoby Brissett, the flat earther that he is. He doesn't think space is hot. Whatever. I'm out. I am in on the Ravens. Oh, wow. AVY. Miami Dolphins. Man heaviest team in the NFL. Meviest. Meviest team in the NFL. Man heaviest. You can't play man coverage against Lamar Jackson. You just can't. You don't get home. That is a 40-yard run that you're giving up. So you're going to have to, they're going to be asked to do something defensively that they do not do, that they rarely do. And when you know, have a defense that is so used to this, you know, we'll say simplistic, but like one having one job and you all of a sudden have to switch it up on them, you're just not going to be as good at it. So I, I am all in on the Ravens and their offense in this game, taking apart this Dolphins defense. And then it's like the other side of the ball. What, what do you think? You think the Dolphins fucking stand a chance against the stunts and blitzes the Ravens send? No, they don't. They don't. Give me the Ravens. Lamar's also getting his number retired this weekend too, so he can't go into. Car- well, no, he can't go into Cardinal Stadium off of a bad performance. He's gonna ball out. I think it's a distraction. I think it's a distraction. He's thinking about Louisville. I like Dolphins plus seven and a half. Let's get to Falcons Cowboys. This number was at eight and a half. It's now been stretched to nine. Falcons are nine point dogs against Cowboys on the road, and I like the Falks. 76% of the cash bet on this game has been on Dallas. Greenline, though, PFF Greenline, which is a betting dashboard you get in your elite subscription, has a 1.6% edge on Falcons to cover the nine. Tyron Smith did not practice today. Michael Gallup still coming off the injured reserve. They expect him to come back, but we don't know. Dallas Cowboys are coming off a stinker. 
They looked like butt cheeks yeah. against Denver Broncos. Are they, is this a bounce-back opportunity? Is this a get-right game for Dallas? Sure, it is at home. But the Falcons are playing good football. And if Matt Ryan plays as good as he did last week, I'm all in on the Atlanta Falcons covering nine. I, I am as well. That's back-to-back and, dogs And, and it's more, it's, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think one guy can swing this line, and it's not the non-quarterback in my eyes. Tyron Smith. Tyron Smith plays. I feel good about the Cowboys covering. Tyron Smith doesn't play. I feel good about the Falcons covering. And go back to, what year was it? 2017, maybe? 2018? Tyron Smith doesn't play against the Falcons. And how am I so blanking on this? The guy who had six sacks in that game. It was the guy who Oh, uh, Adrian Claiborne. Adrian Claiborne. Six sacks in that game. That was how bad Terrence Steele looked last week at left tackle. And now they might reshuffle and put Lyle Collins at left tackle, Steele back to right tackle, which probably would be better considering Steele has been playing right tackle literally his entire career all throughout college. Lyle Collins back college played left tackle. So might go a little bit better. But the fact of the matter is, Dak is just has not over the course of his career been the same quarterback when he hasn't had Tyron Smith. That sort of certainty he brings to the table on the blind side. So that's my pick. Then I like if, it. If if Smith plays, Cowboys. He doesn't play, Falcons. Love it. Love it. I wonder if that line shifts if he is announced as active. If it does get back to eight and a half or eight or seven and a half. I mean, it's a tackle. It's probably not, but yeah. Or no, it would be stretching out. It'd be going like nine, nine and a half, ten, whatever. But on to Saints Titans now. This is one of the bets I like, and I hate betting the Titans a little bit. Obviously, no Derrick Henry, but they're at home, and they're only three-point favorites over the Saints. Saints, no Alvin Kamara on practice today, no Teron Armstead, and no Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Now, obviously, all those guys are questionable with injury. We, they could obviously play, but man, if they were without those guys, I could see this being a rough situation for the New Orleans Saints. And remind you, they're still starting Trevor Simeon. Like, what the hell is this? The Tennessee Titans are at home. Are you telling me on a neutral field that the Saints and Titans are equal? Absolutely not. This is objectively a better defense, objectively a better offense. Or not a better defense, sorry. Objectively a better offense. I'm all in on Tennessee covering this three. I am as well. And like you said there, it is still Trevor Simeon. And you're going <laughs> to Tennessee. You know? like that. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Here. I am like too. It's, uh, you, you can only put lipstick on a pig so much. And this Tennessee I've team tried. has been exceptional. Like, it has been exceptional of late. They're, they have been on a tear. And then even without Derrick Henry, yeah. And like the Titans defense, your stunts up front, the games they've run have been very successful. And if no Teron Armstead, if you are banged up a little bit up front, I like the Titans. On to Jaguars at Colts. This is a tough one for me, man, because there is part of me that wants to back Urban. And I've been fading Urban since the start. He's three and a half, three and five against the spread, and I've been fading him accordingly. But 10 and a half points, you do have Colts coming off extended rest. They played on Thursday night football. 10 and a half points, green line season edge on Jacksonville. They're starting to figure things out. Yes, it's an in indie, but it's in a dome that could help things. 10 and a half might be too much for me. It might be too much for me. And I know Jonathan Taylor's coming off an absolutely absurd game, and they dominated in that Thursday night affair. I think I'm leaning the 10.5 dog here. I like Jacksonville to cover. I like Colts to cover. I'm picking a lot of fades. I realize that. But this aligns at full strength. Braden Smith, Frank Reich said earlier this week, he's, optimi- he's fairly optimistic that Braden Smith will play in this game. That is a full-strength offensive line that – will tear through this Jaguars defensive line. And, I mean, the Jaguars defensive line has been playing better of late, but this is a different animal. When the Colts are at full strength, it always has been. So uh, I like the Colts to basically roll. Um, 
on the ground at least at the very least and then the jaguars like even shit last week even in a win offense has no sort of cohesiveness whatsoever um so yeah give me the colts this is one of the hardest games to bet next patriots at home are one and a half point favorites against the browns not for me you like you like Browns, don't you? I like Browns. Browns heavy? You know I do. You know I like the best team in the AFC. Oh my gosh. I'm scared to bet the Browns in this one. 54% of the cash is on New England. New England favored by one and a half at home. And can I say this? Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield against Bill ba- Belichick. Baker Mayfield the only against thing. Bill Belichick. I, I, I smell a blender here. I smell Baker getting exposed. And I don't think they put up a ton of points in this one. And that what concerns me about the one and a half is Mac Jones. Mac Jones has been up and down quite a bit. And I don't think this offense is particularly good. I think it ranks outside the top 10 in EPA per player, whatever it is. And defensively, the Browns have the obvious edge yes. over New England. It's tough, but on the road in Foxborough, I don't know what that accent was. I'm betting Belichick against Baker. Belichick over Baker, and that's what gives me the edge. I, 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 just, I think the Browns are a much more complete team. Uh, yes, you know, I think Jack Conklin's hurt in this game. That's obviously going to be an issue, but I believe they get Jeremiah Wuskormoa back for this one. And that is a full strength defense then. That that is the Browns defense with you know no feasible injuries. They are at full strength heading into this game. And that's a scary proposition. I've been saying it all year long. This defense at full strength can beat you, or there's no weaknesses to expose. And the way they played last week against a good passing offense makes me think that they will shut down Mac Jones enough to cover this number, or I mean cover this number one and a half to win this game. Before we get to Jets-Bills, and I've got kind of a hot pick for Jets-Bills, DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and win $200 in free Free bets. If they win, you win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook. For details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I like the J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Plus 13. Maybe don't bet it now. I think you could see more this spread get to 14. Maybe get that 14 and a half. Right now, 70% of the cash bet on this game is on Buffalo, so you continue to see that number swell. If it gets to 14, I like it a lot. At 13, maybe wait it out, because if it gets to 12 and a half, you're not going to touch this thing. But if it gets to 14, I'm all about it. Mike White. The jury is out, man. No one knows how good Mike White is. They've seen such a small sample size. But what we do know is it's better than Zach Wilson. And I think this number is baked into that the Jets stink because Zach Wilson stinks. We don't know if Mike White stinks yet. I'm all in. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. I liked, I think I said last week, I liked the offense, the way Mike White ran at score points against how the Colts skimmed their defense. I, I don't feel similarly about the Bills. I will be honest. So, Come on. Uh, 13's a lot on the road. But this Bills defense is still very, very good. It's still. I think it's the best defense in the NFL. It's still a very complete defense. They didn't lose last week because of their defense. They lost because Josh Allen played the worst game he has all season. And banking on that happening again against the Jets defense that just got, I mean, ran through like (laughs) 
hot butter. Not going to go to what I was going to say, but yeah. I'm don't go say it. Don't say it. I do think that there's a lot of... Uh, did Sala, Robert Sala, turn on the tape of this Jags game and find something? I'm not saying... I think everyone's favorite saying in football right now is, is Josh is X player figured out? I'm not saying that. But is there a little taste? Is there a little taste to figure out with Josh Allen? You said it on the Monday pod. Play everything in front. Don't get beat deep. Force him to make a lot of throws. Can can the Jets do that too? I don't know. I don't know. I like it at plus 14, plus 14 and a half. At 13, maybe stay off it. But the, the point was that I said the throws were there and very wide open. He just wasn't taking them was the yeah. problem. And it's like he's going to go back, watch that tape, and be like, I, I need see to do this that again. again. I fix this shit. So <laughs> I yeah. can't let I, – I need to give Mike White a dub is what he's going to say. Lions, Steelers, Steelers at eight and a half favorites over the Detroit Lions. This number actually has gotten out to nine now. 95% of the money bet on this game is on the Steelers minus nine. That's how it probably got from eight to eight and a half to nine. Yeah. I don't want to touch the Detroit Lions. I thought it was blessed to be the backdoor situation all season long. They're four and four against the spread, 0 and eight on the season. The Lions are scary, man. I, and I know like Ben Roethlisberger's cooked. We don't think Ben Roethlisberger's good, and I get that. But man, on the road against Pittsburgh, against Mike Tomlin and this defense, I think Jared Goff turns into a, a shriveled up raisin here and i think the pittsburgh Steelers do cover nine you know what worries me in this game and this is like very counterintuitive but it worries me that taylor decker is back for the lions because you know what that means sewell's going back to right sewell's tackle. back to right tackle yikes and that means he's going up against tj watt and that means that things are probably not going to end well for Penay sewell in this game it's going to be an all-you-can-eat buffet and, and they're probably going to be saying Oh, it's Penny Sewell. He's turned a corner. He's only given up five pressures on 129 pass blocking snaps the last three weeks. He's been fantastic, but not a right tackle. And that's a different animal. And I think he's going to get it. Dude, flipping him to right tackle right before TJ Watt puts him on a dinner plate, that's going to be bad news bears. That's going to be bad news bears. I'm scared for Penny Sewell. I'm scared for Lions backers because that could be ugly. That could be real ugly. Buccaneers football team, Tampa's on the road, a team that I've called the best in the NFL, and a lot of people hated me on it. They're nine-and-a-half-point favorites over the football team on the road. That is a lot. That's a lot. That is a lot. Taylor Heineke, I don't know if I can back him, even at home against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, too, coming off a bye. Coming off a bye against the hapless football team, Heineke and the hapless football team. I think nine-and-a-half is not enough. I'm taking them. Yeah, like Heineke plays, played well last year when there was kind of nothing to lose in the playoffs. You know, They kept that game close to cover what this number was, ultimately. I, I I think this is a different mindset, though, or he's in a different headspace now where he is downward spiraling. The confidence that he maybe played in this or the looseness that he played with in that game is nowhere to be found at this moment in time. I like the Bucks nine and a half feels even low for this game for me because this football team, like they, the defensively, how, where they thrive, interior pressure, pressure from the, like the fact that they go four across. Well, guess what? The Bucks go five across in the offensive line as well as anyone in the NFL. They can block them up without help, and I think that ultimately means Bucks big. Uh, a lot of big spreads this week. I know. Ravens, Dolphins, seven and a half. Falcons, Cowboys, eight and a half. Jaguars, Colts, ten and a half. You get the Lions, Steelers at eight and a half. Bills, Jets, thirteen. Bucks football team, nine and a half. And now Panthers, Cards. Last big spread of the preview here. Cards at home are ten and a half point favorites over PJ Walker. I say no. This is, the, this is the juice that the Carolina Panthers need. Robbie Anderson needs this. Robbie Anderson is screaming at Sam Darnold to throw an accurate pass. Robbie, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, all cook, P.J. Walker. And if I had to pick up any of those big spreads for an upset, 
I wouldn't pick the Panthers, but I do think that they cover the 10.5. I like Panthers cover 10.5 here, too. That's a massive spread, and I think at least P.J. Walker won't go in the tank the way Darnold did. He can give you some offense just with his legs at, at the very least. And Kyler Murray coming off an injury. DeAndre Hopkins coming off an say, injury. You got the injuries on the Cardinals side that this, and, and I think the Cardinals defensively at least matches up well with just the team speed they have at every single level whether it's their edge rushers, who can, who can track down Kyler Murray on those option runs, Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, those guys can play with Kyler Murray in space. Linebacker group, Shaq Thompson, who can go sideline, sideline, and then obviously uh, secondary, Jeremy Chin, and the like. I like, I'm not saying to win, but I do like 10.5 to at least cover because, again, this Panthers, the Panthers are a good football team. They were dog shit at quarterback, but the rest of this team is a good football team. The other thing, too, is today DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray did not play, did not participate in practice. Now, coming off an injury like that, you're probably not expecting him to practice many Wednesdays, even for the rest of the regular season. However, you have to bake into this line a little bit some of that, hey, they might not play or they might not be at yeah. full strength. And we've seen Kyler Murray not at full strength. Kyler Murray not at full strength is a lot of the reason why the Cardinals faded down the last half of last season. Now, can Colt McCoy overcome that? I don't know. I like Panthers 10.5. Vikings, Chargers. Chargers are three-point favorites over the Vikings at home, and they were one-point dogs to the Eagles on the road last week. I don't get that. I like the Vikings a lot. I like the Vikings a lot in this one. How are we all in on the Chargers against objectively a better football team in Minnesota? Yes, it's at home, but like three-point favorites over the Vikings at home. When we couldn't even like feel all that confident in them covering a half-point line against the Eagles on the road last week. The Vikings are the best, worst football team in the <laughs> NFL. The Vikings, I think, can go into L.A., not just cover the three, but also upset the Chargers. That's how good they've played this year. And the Chargers haven't been, they've been playing ups and down. You know, this offense, you know, a lot of people talk about Joe Lombardi neutering. I just did this for neutering, a little, little neutering <laughs> for uh, Justin Herbert. I don't know. Vikings plus three. Give it to me. I think you almost have to, I like Chargers in this. Okay. Because I think you have to cake in the fact that. Cake in? Bacon. Cake in? Either way. You have to put in the fact that. The Vikings today came out Wednesday that they have 29 possible close contacts in COVID-19 protocol, that they could be decimated by COVID-19. I believe Harris Smith's already out of this game because of it, that there may be more coming down the pike here to where that's a factor. And then I just think that the Chargers are a much better football team, much more complete football team, and the Vikings are kind of in down bad right now, yeah. just from a... Are you down? From down? like a again back to that like mindset perspective, things are going south to where they've lose so many close football games and so many bad losses that at some point you break and mm-hmm. you can't continue to say we got the guys in here to get it done. At some point, that's not enough. Eagles, Broncos, Broncos at home and finding new life after a nice little win over the Dallas Cowboys. Teddy Bridgewater looking good coming off a birthday. I like. Them, it's two and a half. It's a two and a half point line right now. I like Denver. Only two and a half point favorites over the Eagles. Only two and a half point favorites over the Eagles. I like them a lot. Their defense is playing phenomenal. You saw that against Dallas. And then you look at the Eagles side. Darius Slay questionable with a hamstring. Miles Sanders still on the injured reserve. Brandon Graham on the injured reserve. Brandon Brooks on the injured reserve. I like this Broncos team a lot. And yeah, they have been up and down. But this past week, I think this gives them new life. I think Teddy B leads them to a dub and over three points. I agree as well. And it's... Because he has this full complement of wide receivers back. With Jerry Judy back, I think Judy fits his skill set and the routes he likes to run just a touch better than Cortland Sutton. But when they're both out there on the football field, it's just a much more efficient offense. And I think you 
you sort of lose a lot of those like third and longs. Like he stays on schedule a lot better. Teddy B moves that offense a lot better. So yeah, I, I just like the Broncos and their defenses. I mean, what they did to the Cowboys last week was incredible. So I, I still think they have the secondary to shut down the Seagulls' offense. Russell Wilson is back, and he's a three-and-a-half-point dog on the road against your guy, Aaron Rodgers, and the Green Bay Packers. Green Line, PFF's betting dashboard in your elite subscription, really likes the Seahawks in this one with Russell Wilson back. Before you comment on the spread, what's your opinion of the fucking hype video for Russell Wilson coming back? I don't understand it. I don't understand why it had to be that big of a deal. I'll be honest. back from a finger injury. I refuse to even watch it because everything it puts out just makes me cringe. I can't do it. I can't do it. I was a little upset about it. It's like I I am not the kind of guy who seeks out cringy stuff. Also, just like such like – I mean, you compare his social media. It's a good exercise. Comparing his social media to Tom Brady's, right? Tom Brady puts a lot of effort into his shit. But Tom Brady, not for a second, do you think is cringy. Like his is like high effort, high production value. It still finds ways to not feel – inapproachable you know what i mean like russell wilson's like this is like celebrity status shit i don't even know i mean did you see a snapshot of his gym it has his brand it's, it's it has his it's, logo on every plate in his gym in his own gym yeah. i mean it comes down to authenticity true with tom brady you feel as if this is who he's always been with russell wilson it's like a character that he's playing he's playing the superstar quarterback and he's not actually always been the superstar quarterback. I can feel Quinn has something to say. Do you think he, like, do, do you think he's doing this on, like, do you think he's self-aware enough to know, yes, this is very cringy, and no. he is leaning into it because no. he just knows that this is he his He is brand? the guy that Because faked- I'm almost getting to that point, and I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I am not a Russell Wilson fan, but I, I almost think he is, like, leaning into it at this point, because it is so bad. When he did the fake huddle shit before Sunday Night Football, like, that's when you knew. Like, it just took, it's too far. I knew long before that. It's just he's oblivious to – I mean, he probably sees the reaction and it's just like, those are haters, man. You know, Sad state of affairs, that is. It's just – some guys Anyway, on to the spread. Do you like Seahawks plus three and a half or are you in on your Green Bay Packers? I'm in on the Green Bay Packers. Rodgers back. Rodgers also pissed and more, mm-hmm. li- more likely than not ready to prove a fucking point. Um, that he has against, COVID? <laughs> did have COVID. That he that he's going and he's going up against the Seahawks secondary. That's the Seahawks secondary. Let's be let's be real. Like they've he's cooked them the last couple of times. He's faced them. So yeah, give me the Packers in this one. Don't love three and a half. Would like three a lot better if it's moving that way. But yeah, still give me the Packers. What's especially be- if they send OBJ. What's better for the ensuing McAfee show from a content perspective? Him getting blown out at home and like COVID affecting his play, or him coming back and on this revenge tour of like domination? I mean, it's it's the from a content perspective. from a content perspective. That's- I think him getting torched is way better because when you get a triggered Rodgers, he can he can misquote Martin Luther King. I mean, he can do a lot. No, of No, he turns off though when he like gets like when. When he's really like, he will, yeah. he will just like, like this off season, you'll just won't hear from him for six months. Yeah. So he'd probably he'll just still skip, do, he'll he'd probably still just do the McAfee the, show. He'd probably just skip the McAfee show if he got blown out. All right. I'm picking, I'm picking Seattle plus three and a half. Take it for the banter alone. Chiefs Raiders. This is a big one. For those who don't know, I'm from Oakland. Raiders look okay. Then they take a dump in New York in the Meadowlands against Giants. They're two and a half point dogs at home in Vegas in the Death Star with Deshaun Jackson practicing. I think I still like the Chiefs. Like Chiefs are only a two and a half point favorite. I don't think I've ever seen it under three against the Raiders in my life since the Patrick Mahomes there at least. Mm-hmm. 
I think you bet a house on Chiefs minus two and a half. I mean, in a dome, Patrick Mahomes, like, the Raiders are going through so much right now. It has been a disaster. By, by no, every bit of it, a disaster to be only two and a half point dogs against the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, I think this is a bet the house situation. Yeah, I I don't love the Raiders here. I'll be honest. I, I would like to... I, I do think the Chiefs' offense is somewhat broken. I don't think they are going to... Like everyone wanted to say, was that throw to Tyreek Hill? Is that the confidence booster that Patrick Mahomes needs? I, I, I think there are some things that the NFL has caught up on. And I wrote about it earlier this week that like NFL defenses are approaching the Chiefs in a way that they have not before. And, and yeah, the Chiefs will find answers... But I think it's a way that really is going to kind of stop the Chiefs offense from being that juggernaut that just is like damn near indefensible that just can come back in the blink of an eye because everyone's stopping doing everything that they can to sell out against big plays. And at some point, Patrick Mahomes will stop uh, going looking for those and will just take his check downs. But the cra- one of the craziest stats I found in that article was that Patrick Mahomes has the most dropbacks in the NFL this year by like 40. Is like 40 more dropbacks than anyone else in the NFL. I don't have the exact number in front of me. He is 22nd in yards gained on checkdowns. He's just not going to it. He just has no interest in ever checking wow. the ball down. That is a good stat. Like, he had the most dropbacks in the NFL. He could do it all day long, but he refuses to give up on plays. And it's not even giving up on plays. That's what you should be doing. And so I don't foresee it really flipping anytime soon. That, But at the same time, it's like the Raiders are down bad as well offensively. Oh, yeah. Down so, horrendous. Um, this one, yeah, I'll, I will lean Chiefs in this one, but I don't love either one, to be honest. Green Line sees a massive edge on the Chiefs, massive. And it's always been a big Patrick home supporter. I think part of that is because noted Eric Eager, Chiefs no, fan, is behind the why. numbers. I'm just kidding. It's not why. But regardless, Rams Niners to close out the NFL preview slate. This is Monday Night Football in San Francisco. Rams I can't are this line. Rams are four, only four-point favorites over the Niners. The Niners are bad football team. Objectively, a bad football team. Two and six against the spread this year. Three and five on the season, with not a lot of hope coming. This is this is another bet the house situation. You got two primetime bet the house, two primetime bet the house situation. I think I'm all in on Rams here. And they get Von Miller back this week. Like Von Miller's playing this week. That's I don't know, man. Like that's <laughs> that I, I don't see the 49ers scoring that many points. Five percent of Jimmy Garoppolo's passes this season have been turnover worthy plays. He has objectively been awful. More than 60% of his passing yards have come after the catch. He is completely dependent on Debo Samuel and others making plays. This is the defense that they have. I don't know, man. I I don't see this helmet. I I do not think the Rams take a blunder here. If they win by just three, I'd be really surprised. I was going to say, this line to me, if you would have told me at the beginning of the week, I would have thought six and a half, seven. Four is just, it's very low for me. Yep. Prospect Primer, but before we do so, got to give a shout-out to Western Southern, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Whether it's financial success or football savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth, the big man, to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your financial and fantasy scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need-to-know? For your financial future. Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com. Whoa. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com. Whoa, I lost the read. I'm so sorry. 
Western.com slash ask Chris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash ask Chris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Check out the sign, too. Show them the sign. Oh, the sign. If you're watching on YouTube, oh my gosh. It's the Western Southern Studio. It's Western Southern Studio. Welcome in. And we got the helmet and we got the mug. We got a lot here coming. We got a lot here coming for those listening on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> prospect Primer, Aiden Hutchinson versus Rashid Walker. Carl Loftus versus Petit Friere off of the tackle for Ohio State. And then you got Zion Tupuola Fatui, the Washington Edge fender, going against Arizona. Zion. Zion? I don't know, man. Zion Tupuola Fatui against Kellen Deesh. Uh, yes. All right. We got, yeah, we got a trench matchup. We got some nice trench matchups this weekend. Those are all. Day one, day two picks in the trenches uh, this weekend. So Hutchinson, and I would also add David Ojabo, who's been a monster, came on in a in a way over the past six weeks, has 21 pressures in his past five games, five career pressures prior to that. Redshirt sophomore for the Michigan Wolverines, a athletic freak there across Maiden Hutchinson. So those two going up against Rasheed Walker, I uh, it's probably not going to end well for Sheet Walker. Let's keep it real. Uh, George Karloff just going up against Petit Freer. Freer's given up 11 pressures the last two weeks. He got crushed by Arnold Lebichetti in that Penn State game. I love Arnold Lebichetti. We're going to get we him on too. the podcast soon. Uh, I said we do, too. I do, too. Um, <laughs> we do, too. <laughs> but, yeah, George Karloff is going up against him. And then Zion, Tupuola Fatui. If you're a longtime listener to the pod, we've brought his name up before, but it's because he tore his Achilles last spring. Miraculous recovery is back within six months, has played the past few weeks, best game of the year last week against Oregon, or his most productive game of the year, I should say. So going up against Deesh, the Arizona State offensive tackle that we've highlighted, will be a nice matchup for both and kind of like a strength for Fatui, bull rusher, against a, maybe a weakness for Deesh where he has to hold up to that. So that's going to be a nice prospect primer. You know what you got to do? I feel like these tweets get good engagement, and I think they fit your brand really well. Players I'm excited to watch on Fun Saturday. Watch. You know, like these, um, I'm really excited to watch matchups. these guys. You like that? Yeah. I'm trying to help no, your brand. No, I obviously haven't tweeted I'm trying to help ever. your brand out a little bit. You know, not everything's a joke. Incomplete fracture. Says me. I, every joke, every tweet I send is probably a joke. Yeah. All right. Um, I do love the people. I'm just like a tangent here. The people that get, I don't love. But people get upset when it's like, stay classy. You're joking about an injury, man. I wish no one ever got injured. You know, like I, I hate that bad things happen to people, but sh- they do. And I'm going to still enjoy life and I'm going to hope to make the best of every situation. It's I mean, also not make- that bad. Like he's not seriously injured. Yes. He's not this was die. not, you know, like I, I may have made a little bit of a tasteless joke when Jerry Judy got injured. Uh, Oh, I remember that. I told you not to send that one. Yeah, Can you tell the that people what that was? I did end up deleting it. And I was like, that was maybe a little bit too far. Oh, yeah. I remember soon. what it was. So, when so Jerry it was Judy- Jerry Judy sprained his ankle. And technically, you're down when any body part <laughs> besides your foot's not down. And so I tweeted, technically, Jerry Judy's ankle is down. And it was. It was. <laughs> when he, and he like fumbled on the play. Um, and he still like, – his other body parts also hit before, but I was like, okay, maybe that's one that I probably shouldn't be joking about. But that it also one was, was like funny. A that one was funny though. Yeah, I think that one's a good one for the group chat. The other one I really liked um, from a while back is when Blake Cashman measured in with like twenty nine inch oh, arms yeah. or whatever, and they said the only one with shorter arms of Blake Cashman was Shaquem Griffin. <laughs> that one was good. Short that's good. Span. Yeah, that's good. Shorter wings. Factual one. That's it's factual. It's factual. All right, uh, mailbag season or no? Let's do. We want to do trivia then mailbag or finish with trivia. 
Your pick. Deal Let's finish choice. with Triv. Let's finish with Triv. Okay. Mailbag. To start with mailbags, though, we have gotten so many questions. Yeah. We've gotten so many questions on the mailbag. To make sure you're getting these, make sure you reach out or rate and review the pod. Because if you rate and review the podcast, we'll move those right up the order. If you're sending DMs on Twitter, it's harder for us to prioritize those because we get a billion. I mean, I, I did the hat giveaway. I got like 12 DMs at like 3 a.m. this morning. Already, like three, like They listened yeah. to it already and it's gone. So make sure you go in and rate and review on, on the pod. That's going to get your questions answered on the mailbag here. This is from AJ Lecce on Twitter. Sorry. Um, Defense is moving toward positionless football, but as, as, as the rightfully credited pioneers of the edge defender as a position and its reappropriated status apart from the traditional defensive end position, how would you at PFF splice the over other gray areas at DI or defensive tackle, linebacker, and safety and re-rank each position by value added? This is a great question. Okay. How would these new positions stack up in value versus boundary versus slot corners, edge, etc.? Maybe add some examples of prospects that already fit the mold in these new positions, total free reign, have fun with it, hell yeah. I mean, I think we do that with interior defender. Just calling it interior defender is like your hybrid interior defenders. The, I'm trying to think what I would call kind of just the, the Derwin James-esque role or the guy who's just like an around the line of scrimmage. The Derwin James, Damal Adams, those guys. I, I think those are I, calling them matchup weapons is, is like the defensive version of matchup weapons is what you're is what they are is that they can basically s- whatever you want them to do defensively they are capable of executing I, I think that's the best way to describe it and, and i think that applies to like a jeremiah with and a kyle hamilton and a jamal adams and a derwin james they are all in the same mold so saying like the linebacker safeties that is what those guys are I think you could start to do draft boards that have even more value. I mean, you see Mel Kuyper split his position groups up and do like linebacker versus outside linebacker and stuff like that. That's obviously yeah. a bit more of a heinous way. But if you did box safety rankings, slot corner rankings, outside corner, like I do think there would be a lot of value in that. Yeah, there, the, yeah there's trouble, though, in that some, there's some guys that cleanly fit that, and then there's some guys that don't. Blurred fit. Yeah. A cheeky blurred fit. Mm-hmm. All right, this is from FlyCon on Apple Podcast. Big fan of the pod. Definitely my favorite of the many PFF podcasts out there. Big shout out, FlyCon. As a UVA fan, a.k.a. Virginia, I was wondering what your thoughts were on Brendan Armstrong, one of the highest graded passers in PFF's database right now. He has a high PFF grade so far, a good arm, and a decent runner. But I noticed he didn't make your most recent top 10 QBs list for the 2022 draft. What are your concerns? Is the level, is it the level of competition he's played? Something else? And as a side note, was also wondering if there are any other Virginia players that caught your eye. Maybe Dontavian Wicks. So he's got a very high turnover-worthy play rate start. Like he has made only eight picks, but 17 turnover-worthy plays on the season. He's made some bad decisions with football. I'll also say he has a well below average arm by NFL standards. I described it here as Kellen Moore-esque. Ooh. And he also has a pretty sizable dip in his throwing motion that it just it's, you're not going to get away with at the NFL level unless you've got Trey Lance's arm. Like, Trey Lance had a dip. Trey Lance has a hose. I think he has a bigger dip than Trey Lance, and he's got Doesn't an have a hose. So that's a bad combination. That I would be surprised if he comes out and doesn't try to work. It comes out this year and instead tries to come back in 2022 and work on getting rid of that because that's – that's just a no-go. It's like it was Tebow-esque. Tebow-esque dip. There you go. Dip um, and hose versus dip and no hose. There you go. It's a big, it's a big distinction. No, it's, it's a big huge. distinction, it's I would say. It's um, and then the other guys, um, Noah Taylor, the linebacker. I believe that's his name. Six foot five, 235, um, kind of an off-ball edge hybrid. I believe we talked about him when yeah. 
uh, Eric Galco was on the show um, and that he'll kind of set the edge there and he'll also play in coverage. And that's kind of a s- similar role-wise to maybe like a Dante Hightower. Now, Dante Hightower's got 30 pounds on him and is actually has a size set the edge at the NFL level, but there are some interesting traits there that is worth a flyer on day three, in my opinion. That's kind of all he is at this point, though, because he's still not particularly... Uh, I mean, it's 56.8 coverage grade this year. That's not been his strength. Yep. Got to move quickly here. We're running press okay. on time. Eric Durr on Twitter. Hey, guys, love the podcast and have a fun question. Imagine if Dwayne The Rock Johnson were to buy the NFL and reset the league so that every single player becomes draft eligible for a fantasy-style draft, but rather than just skill players, it's every player. Every player keeps their current contract as well. In what round of 52 rounds do you, as a franchise, take your first running back, and who should be the first running back off the board? I feel like we get asked this question a lot. Like, Everything's reset. How are you drafting it? But I like I like it from a running back angle. Um, you're, I love you that start. The Rock bought it too. I like that Dwayne The Rock awesome. Johnson bought, which I stand by. I mean, I get on a lot of soapbox boxes here. Mm-hmm. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, looking at the camera, is not a good actor. Okay, oh, no. he's not a good actor. People people are like he's one of the more successful actors. He's got paid for this. He was a tooth fairy for God's sakes. He's entertaining. Is it okay? There's he's a difference between acting and being entertaining. There's a difference. You know, there's a ton of entertaining stars online. Okay, I know that ones you watch fondly. There's a difference between being entertaining and talented as an actor, okay? You can't just say entertaining. It's like catch-all for everything. Oh, the Marvel movies aren't that good. Well, they're entertaining. No shit. So it was like Transformers with Shia LaBeouf. Okay, was anyone in that successful? No. I'm sorry. I'm Maybe off of it. Maybe live a little. I'm off of it. I do live. Enjoy do life, live. Austin. All right, your answer to the running back question. I would not take it before, so at, at every round, whatever. I would not take one before round 20-something. It's one of the last positions you take. One of the last positions you're going to take. Just because I think you can get good results. One, you're not, you get good results with multiple players, and it's not a position you're going to rely on. The guy I'd probably go first, considering contracts, probably Jonathan Taylor, because he has you know, elite breakaway speed. He's kind of like a poor man's Derrick Henry that he can hit big plays for a bigger back. And because there's like no dynamic receivers on. Contracts. There's no like Alvin Kamara yeah, yeah. out there. So the like, contract aspect of this is the biggest yeah. part. There really haven't been a lot of, like I said, dynamic receivers on rookie contracts right now at the running back position to have come out. And that's the thing. It's like, then, then just give me a guy who's maybe like a Kenneth Gainwell. I'll take Kenneth Gainwell in the 45th round, and he could be my receiving back. And I could have Jonathan Taylor and Kenneth Gainwell, or even shit like Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor. Like you could have what the Colts have. That's, that's how I would do that. Yeah, I don't think I'm taking a running back. I might even go after round 20. And I think you're focusing in on a running back that's on a rookie contract that's had a lot of success early on who has speed. I've got on this show a ton saying you got to have speed running back position. Only Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry have more force missed tackles than Jonathan Taylor over the past two years. Only more yards after contact. He and obviously you have Henry and Chubb both on these second contracts that I'm not willing to pay. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Jordan's, this is from Jordan Short on Twitter. Do you all have any insight on why Clemson is so cheeks this year? Seems like they have the pieces but can't do the simple things they used to. The offense is butt. The offense is, I would argue, there isn't a Power 5 offense that's harder to watch than Clemson's. When we were on a flight back from one of our trips, we were watching Clemson-Syracuse. And it was, watching that live, because most of the time we're watching film is honestly on All-22 when we're like reviewing it for the podcast. We're not oftentimes watching a ton of like live play-by-play broadcasts. That offense was so painful. that The QB runs that they try and do with DJ Uangalele, they limit him from throwing down the football field. It is horrendous. I think it's so, it, it's just so, it's too simple. It's, it's just bad. It's just limiting and it's bad. They've always been, it's always been a simple offense in terms of the concepts and 
breadth of concepts. There's, they don't run a lot, but they have elite players doing it. And when you have simplistic concepts, you do them very well. And so elite players who have been drilled on these doing it very well, that is why they have succeeded. They do not now have elite players running those, especially on the offensive line and especially at the quarterback position. And that is why when you're that simplistic, you don't have, you don't get, you know, they don't get like free yards. They're not, that's not what Clemson's offense does. They don't beat you with scheme. They beat you with execution. And when you don't have the guys to execute, this is what it looks like. This is from Mom on Apple Podcasts. I have a theory on the Jets' offensive line. Uh-oh. With the left side all set, the draft and free agency will fix the rest. Draft Evan Neal, top five for RT. Trade back from Seattle pick into top 12 to get Linderbaum. For right guard, get Brandon Scherf and free agency. Also, what should the Patriots do with their picks? I love this guy. I love Mom. I love this. I love that he's already got this all planned out. You had Evan Neal going to the Jets in your We love draft. Evan Neal. Now, the trade up back for Linderbaum? Scary. I'd be scared. Center is a low value position. You don't trade guard. up for non-QBs. But I do like the sort of Chargers-esque rebuild of your O-line where it's like, go out, pay the money, knowing that guy's going to be good. Because you look at this upcoming interior offensive line class in free agency, it's kind of shit. It's like Brandon Scherf, and then maybe – I'm not sure there's another guy you would love having in your starting lineup. So, okay, go pony up that cash. You got the space. Go pony up. Get Brandon Scherf. Ron Armstead. In this interior line. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, so go pony up. Do that. Um, now, center position, I think you can maybe get by with maybe not having to trade up for a center. I think you need the draft capital because you have a shit roster too badly that I probably wouldn't do that. I'd probably just go just lean a little later at center position. You can find them a little bit later on, even though I don't love the center class. But that's what I would do. Patriots, I think unless they get OBJ, they got to go wide receiver around one. They just got to. They'll be drafted probably maybe around like 20. That's probably when first wide receiver is going to come off the board. If you can get Garrett Wilson there. Take the card, run it in, go get one, because you need some speed on that. You need just a guy you can rely on there. With Wyatt Teller and signed. And take advantage of the deep cornerback class around two. With Wyatt Teller signed, he won't be a free agent. The best guard after Brandon Scherf, according to PFF's free agency rankings, Lakin Tomlinson. Yikes. That's, That's a disaster. Ryan Jensen is up there. He is a center, obviously, but like he's another interior offensive lineman. That could be good. But the best guard is Lakin Tomlinson, according yeah. to PFF. That's a, that's a disaster. This is from Joko Ba. On Apple Podcasts, Chargers likely to pick an early round DT as a Golden Domer. Jerry Tillery has been underwhelming. <laughs> you don't have to tell Mike that. <laughs> Who are the top what? DTs that fit Staley's scheme outside of DeMarvin Leal and Jordan Davis? Woof. That's what I wrote here because there's not a lot. It's a bad DT class. I, I would lean free agency if I were them because I think there'll be some cheaper, older dudes like the next Linval Joseph. You sign Linval Joseph. Go, go get the next one. Um, which would be like a Brandon Williams from Baltimore, Akeem Hicks from Chicago, uh, DJ Jones from San Francisco. Go get one of those guys would be my guess. The only one I would also then say in the draft, if you're looking for that type of player, Travis Jones. From Friend UConn. of the show. Friend of the show. You could probably get him in the fourth. Moving to Mad Dog underscore 2021. Appreciate all the data-driven analysis. My question. When evaluating position group value, what do you think is more important as a metric to follow? Amount of standard deviation in the production slash athleticism of players at a certain player position group? Example, if there's a sleeper drop-off in elite athletes among one position group than another. Two, degree of independence slash proactivity in a position group. Example, DNs are more independent and play proactive position where they are the aggressor than a corner who is reactive and more dependent on other players. Or three, 
degree of cascading effects, drafting a new wide receiver one, all the wide receivers on your roster down one slot so everyone benefits. Yeah, so this one's a complex one, if you're listening. It's this probably, is from Mad Dog 2021. He came with heat. Yeah, it's probably difficult, maybe a tad difficult to follow. But the way I would say it is the third one, which is cascading effects is the most important one to me of these, in that when you have a guy that is that good, when it, so you have a you have a Jalen Ramsey, you can then scheme and play your defense in a way such that his impact is more on the game than everyone else's, mm-hmm. and then it makes everyone else's life easier. You have Jamar Chase. He will make DK other Metcalf. guys' life easier. Tyrus yes. Hill. So then that's the, one of, the, of these three concepts that's the most important in team building to me. And then it's the first one, which was the sort of there are, it, I would call, I call it the tight end sort of team building uh, theory of that. There are only like four tight ends that are difference makers. And then once that, there's no one. And so if so that like if you have a guy, if or if you can get a guy like the Cal Pitts, I would probably go Cal Pitts because compared to other positions where there maybe are a bunch of good offense tackles, because there are only so many at that position, this positional scarcity aspect that if you if you can get one of those guys, it is going to make a bigger impact compared to the average guy at that position. And then I think the degree of proact Activity versus reactivity. I don't think that's that important, actually. I, like I, I think you maybe can feel more confident that a defensive end is going to play at his level of play over the course of a 16-game season, week in and week out. But I do think that that's uh, not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I, I think cornerback is still somewhat consistent if you measure it the right way. Yeah, there is a degree of you know with that last point. Um, that you can feel more confident in a certain evaluation or projection because some of the data, especially for aggressors like edge defenders, defensive tackles, that thing's better. But you go the opposite side. Like he brought up the cornerback stuff where we had a lot of volatility with the data we track on corners. But offensive linemen, like there is a lot of stability there, even though they aren't necessarily always the aggressors. Like in in pass protection, obviously you're the reactor. Mm -hmm. All right. This is from Todd. This is the last one. Then we'll do trivia and then we'll get the hell out of here. This is from Toddsy Boy. What do you guys think about Florida State's Jermaine Johnson, who was on this podcast this week so far and around? Where do you think he'll be drafted? I also want to talk about Jordan Davis and how much you think his age is going to affect his draft stock. Love the pod. Uh, Johnson, we've talked about a good amount on this. One of the biggest risers, obviously transferred last year from Georgia to Florida State to play, and has played a lot, 537 snaps already. Um, Bendy dude, explosive dude, still not quite like dominant, and he's a senior, where I guess probably redshirt junior would be technically – like you could make money though, going to a Shrine Bowl, going to a Senior Bowl, performing well at one of those two. Right now, he's probably a day two guy. Jordan Davis, the age thing. I mean, he's a senior. If you do, this might be spur, spurred by the fact that if you Google Jordan Davis, there is a page out there that says he's 26 years old. I believe that's not accurate. He was in the 2018 receiving class. Receiving class. 2018 recruiting class. Recruiting class. There we go. Another R word. And I think he's just got to be 22 when he comes out. So. uh I don't think that's that big of a deal. Derek Brown was a senior as well. Trivia. Quinn, you got the questions. I do. We don't have as many as we had last week. That's fine. Um, User submitted ones, which, I mean, it's it's everybody needs a bye week. It's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, but we do have three. You guys ready? Yeah. Let's hit it. All right. Number one, on, tail, uh, on Saturday, Tailgate is headed to Knoxville to see number one Georgia take on Tennessee. The Volunteers have had three first-round picks since 2013. Name them. Derek Brown. Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett is the one I thought of, but now I'm struggling. I was going to say Dobbs, but Dobbs wasn't a first-round pick. Um, um, this is terrible. Three first-round picks since 2013. 
I want to say there's a receiver in that mix. There is. So, sort of. Sort of a receiver. Cordero Patterson. Yeah, there oh. you go. I gave that away. That was good. Uh, one so, more. Your favorite your best running back in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, why am I so bad at this? Trenches. Mm, defensive. Mm. I don't know. You want to take one last stab? I'll figure it out. Oh, my. Hurry up. We'll get it. O-line, D-line. O-line. 2014. Oh, God. Okay, that's why. I have no idea. Offensive line. 2014 off line. Oh, I know. It's the tackle for the Dolphins, Juwan Johnson. Yep, Juwan James. Juwan James. 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 Nice, nice. I didn't know he went to Tennessee. There you go. Uh, Number two, this is the first year the Bulldogs are number one since 2008. In the 2009 draft, they had two first-round picks. Who are they? Ooh, 2009. That was a while. Is that A.J. Green? (laughs) No. No, A.J. was later than that. Um... Uh, 2009. So 2009 first overall pick was that was the that was the BJ Raji Clay Matthews draft for the Packers, which is where I always start with who's the Packers pick in a given year. Um, Georgia had two that year. I have no I'm idea. Trying to think. Oh man, I can't even think of a Georgia player right now. Uh, Stafford. Stafford. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Uh, God damn. Did they have... Can we get a position? Yeah, let's see the other position. Uh, the one that doesn't matter. Oh, it's back. No, Sean Moreno. Nah, yeah, no Sean Moreno. No Sean Moreno, yep. All right, last one. Name the Heisman Trophy winner who wasn't... Or, excuse me, sorry. Let me start that over. Name the last Heisman Trophy winner that was not a first-round pick. Wow. Well, I think I know. Or I think I have a guess. Who? Is it Derrick Henry? It was Derrick Henry. Oh, yeah. there it is. There it is. It's good. Yeah. Second round pick. That's Here it. We go. That's all we got. Uh, let's ask your co-host question. Ask you co-host question. This one, mine was lame. Mine I, was I, lame too. Oh, I couldn't think of one. I couldn't think of one either. I'm not that interesting also. Oh, but jeez. Wow, <laughs> I don't know what spurred this one, but what WNBA player who recently lost in the WNBA finals did I team up with at the Notre Dame Rec Center, Rolfs, on her official visit to Notre Dame, and we did not lose for two hours straight. Oh, my God. I don't even know that many WNBA players. She was. Like, Is there a Sparks? When she was at Notre Dame, she had, like, the most Twitter followers of any college athlete. She was very famous. I mean, she still kind of is very famous. Um, I'm trying to think of a WNBA player. I know the Oregon girl, Laskew, or whatever. INSQ. INSQ. But I. Uh, Apparently, you didn't know the order. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Who was it? Skylar Diggins. Scott, oh, I, I do know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, fuck. I suck. Uh, I worked. What was my first job in college? You had, like, what was my first internship in college? And I already forgot that one. Yeah, yeah sort of. Piece of shit. I know. Um, let's see. You worked at Victoria's Secret. Cashier at Victoria's Secret, baby. Rise up. I knew it. Rise up. People forget. People forget. That's where it all started. Victoria's Secret. They, you um, got fired because you were too good, right? I didn't get fired. You sold too <laughs> I didn't get fired. <laughs> I left that place on good terms. That no. place also doesn't exist anymore, right? Does it? I think they went out of business. No way. You're high. That you're high. They're like, they're closing in malls all over the place. Yeah. I'm pretty they're sure going they're going completely online. That place is not fucking going out of business. You're high. It's that still is, in business. It you're, it's so in business. All right. Anyway, 
Let's get to this uh, after the Victoria's Secret saga, this uh, interview with Nick Cross from Maryland. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Maryland safety Nick Cross. Nick, you are you know, one of the top safeties in the country on our board. We feel really confident in your ability, and you've you know, put on a very successful season in 2021 as well. It's an honor to have you on the show. Appreciate you for having me. Appreciate you for having me. You're, you're a Maryland guy through and through, right? What part of Maryland are you from? From Bowie, Maryland, about 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes outside of College Park. So pretty local, pretty local. So was it always your dream to end up uh, at Maryland or how that, where did it all progress? Um, I was, I've always been a Terps fan growing up and everything, you know, when I got started getting recruited and getting recruited by bigger schools and everything, you know, I kind of was leaning to other schools, you know, down South and trying to go somewhere, you know, outside of state, trying to get, you know, away and then be able to enjoy my, you know, college experience, you know, due to some events and everything, you know, I wasn't able to do that. And, you know, Maryland was there sticking through, sticking with me through and through. Um, Coach Locks, you know, the whole coaching staff, you know, still pressed and wanted me to come um, be a part of the program and be a part of change. And, you know, at the end of the day, I decided to come here and, and put my trust in Coach Locks and the coaching staff. And, you know, that's where, I, where we're at right now. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. I know you're a former four star from Maryland and made the decision to go to Maryland. You know, what other schools were you considering? And obviously, you made that commitment to Maryland. Who were some of the biggest influences on that decision? Was it family, coaching staff, et cetera? Um, I was, yeah, I was, like you said, I was a four star. Um, had offers from, you know, Alabama, Florida, Florida State, um, Georgia. Those are kind of the last, Penn State, those are kind of the last schools that, you know, came down to. Um, slowly was just eliminating schools from the process, you know, depending on how I felt when I visited or, you know, how I could see myself going there. You know, originally I committed to Florida State. You know, that was one of my my dream schools and everything. But, you know, you know, due to some events down there, you know, I wasn't able to go down there. And, um, you know, when Coach Locks got the job, he called me and, you know, it was just like, hey, you know, I'd love to have you on board. I'd love to bring you along and, you know, start the start to bring about change and, you know, bring in, implement his culture into the program and, you know, I trust him. My mom was big on, you know, she just texted me one day and was like, I think you'd be great going to Maryland and everything. And, you know, me who was trying to, you know, get out of state, she was kind of just like, ah, like, you know, come on. She was like, no, I think that you do really well in Maryland. I think that you have a great time and that, you know, you'll be able to accomplish all your goals when you go there. So trusted her, trusted God and, you know, ended up coming to Maryland. And, you know, it's been it's been a pretty good decision so far. That's fantastic, man. And I know you were, we were talking a little bit before we were recording that you have a little bit of a track background. You play track and football in high school. What positions did you all play and what uh, what events or, uh, did you do in track? Uh, track, I was a short sprinter, you know, indoor, I ran 60, 200, outdoor, 100, 200. You know, I ran the relays and everything. So more than short sprint, you know, be able to show quickness, show explosion, show my, you know, short speed to be able to get out and and, and run as fast as the guys who I raced against and, you know, just go out there and have fun. You know, when I was in high school, you know, Coach Brooks, who works in Maryland now, kind of told me, you know, hey, um, you know, you're a good football player, but, you know, I think that if you ran track and you showed that you were really, really fast, that it would help with your college recruitment and everything. And, you know, I feel like, and he said he felt like it would definitely benefit me. And, you know, I was kind of uneasy about it because I didn't know how I would, you know, match up against guys who trained year-round for, you know, track. Went out there, you know, had a great season my junior year, you know, great season my senior year. And, you know, even my freshman year, I ran a little bit um, before COVID started and everything. So it was definitely fun. You know, it was definitely a fun pastime. Enjoy running track and, you know, just enjoy being around a different a different sport, a different type of athlete, a different type of um, environment. 
Hell yeah, man. And even when you when you got to Maryland, you played right away. You appeared in all 12 games, five starts, and then from there have been you know, consistently one of the top performers there at Maryland. What would you say have been the biggest developments or improvements in your game over the course of this playing time? You know, playing in 2019 and obviously the COVID abbreviated season in 2020 and now having that you know full-time role in 2021. Um, I feel like, you know, just playing the game, you know, I haven't really, I haven't played the game. Like some people haven't played the game my entire life. You know, I started playing freshman year of high school and I didn't even start playing safety till I was a junior in high school. So, oh, wow. you know, just continuing to play the game, continuing to, you know, get better and to get more reps, you know, seeing different things, seeing different formations, you know, just, you know, learning different defenses, you know, whether it's Coach Hope, Coach Stewart now, you know, them teaching me the game and, you know, me just, you know, trusting them, Coach Baker. And just, you know, having fun, having fun out there. And I think just, you know, continuing to study the game, you know, watching film, you know, just observing what I what I <laughs> when I get out on the field, you know, not make trying to make the same mistake twice. Um, it's just, you know, learning experience. The more reps I get, the more comfortable I get out there, the more um, comfortable I feel out there and the more, you know, I'm able to go out there and make plays. Obviously, that on-field experience, those on-field reps, I think you have now over 1,300 defensive snaps in your career is such a big part of that. But also, it's the practice reps and the hours spent in the film room. How would you say your preparation has improved or preparation has changed over the course of your career? What exactly does that game week look like for you now compared to your freshman year and when you're turning on the tape, what you're looking for from a tendencies perspective? I guess speak to all of the changes that have happened there. Um, when I first started, you know, watching film, even when I was back in high school, watching film, you know, I was, it was kind of like, you know, one of my old high school coaches, Coach Josh Wilson, was telling me, he's like, are you really watching film or are you watching TV? Like, you know, I was kind of just <laughs> out there, you know, just, I was just watching, like, I'll just be watching, you know, watching what they do and everything. I wouldn't, it wasn't really registering what was, you know, going on, but, you know, the more tape I watched, the more, instead of just, you know, watching games, I watch cutups, you know, I watch, you know, this is what they run in three by one, it's when they run out of two by two, 11 personnel, 12 personnel first, second down, third down, red zone, you know, all those different areas of the field. So, you know, and I just keep watching them, keep watching them so that, you know, when I see the practice, you know, when they run the play to practice, you know, I can send them like, okay, they're in this, you know, two and three are tight. Um, one is a little spread out. You know, here's what the combination is going to happen. Or, you know, tight ends a little far back, you know, alert split zone or alert, something like that. So it's just things like that that are able to, you know, trigger things in my mind. You know, the more you watch it, the more you're able to visualize it, the more, you know, you put the certain calls that you're going to run that Saturday you know, against those runs and everything, you can see yourself making plays that, you know, when they throw the ball, oh, yeah, I can break on this, or no, I can't break on this, or I can sit on this and, you know, try to rob this. So it's definitely, you know, now it's, you know, just making sure that, you know, I'm watching and trying to observe tendencies, observing, you know, okay, when this player is at this position, he runs this, or when he's at that position, you know, he's running this. Or, okay, it's third down, this is their go-to third down route. You know, just things that you do so you don't have to, you know, you do read your keys and everything, but at the same time, you know, you have a feel for what's going to happen. So, you know, you're not just playing out there like a robot. You know, you have a feel for the game. You have a feel for what's going to happen and, and what's going on. It helps you make more plays. Gotcha. Playing at Maryland, you've had a lot of opportunity in practice going against some really talented offensive players. Two, you know, uh, you have Talia Tungavailoa. You also have Dante Demas. You have Rock. Obviously, Demas before the injury. What has it been like going against those guys in practice and how much have they helped you in this process? What's your relationship with them? Um, it's definitely good, you know, having good quarterbacks, you know, having good receivers and everything. Since freshman year, you know, Anthony McFarlane was there, you know, having to chase him down, tackle him and open the field. Mm-hmm. You know, Javon Lee, guys like that, Jake Funk, um, and Demons, Jay Sean, you know, a whole receiver room. You know, it's definitely fun to be able to go out there and, and, and learn from them. You know, they, they've noticed certain things that I do. And, you know, when I sit there and I'm playing them enough, you know, you learn certain things that they do, whether it's, you know, how they get out of their breaks, how they run their routes, you know, quarterback, you know, what his reads are, you know, what he's looking at, you know, you know, if you're looking at me, you know, as a, as a safety where I rotate, 
looking at the corner if he pressed or bailed or is he bailing, you know, things like that. Just be able to get a, a general feel for the game. So when you go out there, you know, it's like, okay, this is what our quarterback reads. You know, this is what most quarterbacks are going to read. So, you know, if they see this, they see this, this is where we're gonna, they're going to go with the ball. And, you know, it just helps, you know, get a better feel. And then I can help my teammates, you know, okay, like, well, yo, if you do this, then he's going to do this. Or if you do this, he's going to do that. So it's just things like that that, you know, help get a better feel for the game. Playing in the Big Ten, too, you've had experience against, you know, opponents with a ton of talented receivers. Well, even just this season, the, you know, the two guys there, three guys at Ohio State, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and even this past week against Jahan Dotson, one of the top receivers in the country. What are some of the things you've learned from going against top-level competition? And who are some of those names that, coming out of those games, you felt gave you, you know, gave you the most opportunity to learn and, and some of the biggest challenges that you've had? Um, you know, it's definitely given a lot, you know, you know, watching them on tape is not, you know, the same as, you know, actually playing them in person, you know, you can't tell the speed, you know, the quickness, you know, ability to get in and out of routes, you know, route savviness and everything. So definitely learned a lot from all. And, you know, Garrett, I've played against him. Chris Olave is my freshman year, you know, Jahan Dotson played against him my my sophomore year and junior year and everything. So, you know, it's always been fun to, you know, go against top talent, um, learning where I'm at. As a player, from the skill perspective, you know, technique perspective, and just, you know, you have to bring your A game every time you go out there. You know, playing against kids, you're gonna you're gonna play against on Sundays and everything, and you know, it's definitely a lot of fun. You got to go out there, bring your A game. You got to study, 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 so that you know, you know, know their tendencies and everything, and you know, just go out there. And at the end of the day, you know, you're gonna win some, you're gonna lose some, and you just got to keep learning. You know, it's never really a loss. You know, you just learn from your experience. Okay, you, you know, you get beat on the route. Okay, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that you know, when you're playing against top, top level talent, but it's always fun to, you know, go against the best, um, just continue to get better. Because at the end of the day, every rep you get game or practice rep, you continue to get better, you continue to sharpen your craft. Then at the end of the day, you're going to be better for it. Absolutely. That's awesome here. We can close with this one. What are your personal and also what do you feel your team goals are as you close out this season? Got a wild slate to close out the year with Michigan State and Michigan, two top 10 teams in the country, and then Rutgers to close things out. What are your plans? What are your goals or the, you know, the accomplishments you want to have under your belt when all said and done after these last few games? Um, just continue to, you know, play at a high level, continue to, you know, make tackles, make plays, you know, help my teammates, you know, put them in position to make plays. Um, continue to study my opponent, you know, like I do from, you know, the previous weeks and everything and just, you know, go out there and, and enjoy the, enjoy the game during the last couple of games of the season. Um, the team, you know, our goal is still ahead of, ahead of us, you know, reaching bowl eligibility, um, you know, just finish out the season strong. So I feel like all the goals are still ahead of us, you know, we just got to keep playing hard, you know, execute, make sure we don't beat ourselves. And I think we'll, we'll be good. All right, man. Well, this was fantastic. I really appreciate you jumping on and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's going to do it for today's episode. Absolutely loaded episode. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And when you do, ask a question to get in the mailbag episodes. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Reiner, and the producers, Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, Max Chadwick, and Stone Rochelle. Tell me.